One dollar. One dollar. That was the cry on the New York street about 25 years ago. One dollar. So I was curious. And I went and looked, and there was this little crowd. And in the middle of the crowd was this man, looked like he was from Asia, an Asian man. And he was yelling out, one dollar. And in front of him was this table with dozens and dozens and dozens of ties on it. And he was selling them for one dollar. So I rummaged through the pile and uh, bought myself a tie. This was it. American flag on it, Statue of Liberty. And I often think of that experience on days like this, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, Independence Day. Because here in New York City, this little Asian man selling tires, and here was a South African who bought one of them, and who can now stand in front of you and tell that story. And why is that? How is that? I think of one word, freedom. The freedom that a man could sell tires, the freedom that somebody could buy one, and wear it proudly, and then tell the story. Our founding fathers understood that. They understood that freedoms didn't come through the decrees of governments or the benevolence of kings and princes. Freedoms are given to us by God. We might call them liberties. And on days like this, I'm reminded of generations and generations of men and women who have gone before us to guard, protect, and fight for the freedoms that you and I enjoy today. 2005, I became a citizen. So I proudly wear this tie. Remember that Asian man in New York City and the privilege that we have. Let's pray. Father, I am honored to stand before this group this morning to wear this tie proudly. Thank you for leading my family to these shores 22 years ago. Thank you for thousands upon thousands upon thousands who went before us to protect the freedoms that you have blessed us with. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you, Lord, that our ultimate freedom is found in Christ. When he sets us free from the bondage of sin, when he liberates our chained up hearts, I thank you for your word. And as we study it this morning together, I pray that you would open it up to us. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Wayne Smith. I am the headmaster at Masters Academy, which is a school that meets right here on this campus. If you didn't know that, I invite you to check us out at mastersvb.org or call the school office or go on the church website and you can find a link to it. We have just finished our 20th year, so thank you for your support and your prayers. Amen. Thank you. So it's my honor this morning to share with you this morning and next week on a series that I'm calling The Clay and the Potter, rather the potter and the clay. 
And, um, and this morning, we are, we are going to look at the analogy in Scripture of the potter and the clay. But before I do that, I'm going to ask you some questions. And while I ask you the questions, I'm going to unpack my props. I brought some props with me. As some of you might uh, resonate with some of these statements. I don't want you to shout and yell and wave your hand. Just, just enjoy these. You might be a redneck. You might be a redneck if you ever cut your grass and found your car. You might be a redneck if you think the stock market has a fence around it. You might be a redneck if your wife has ever told you to move the transmission so she can take a bath. In fact, this morning I saw a lady not sitting over here and she nodded. I didn't go and ask her to explain. <laughs> um, you, you might be a redneck if you've ever raked leaves in your kitchen. You might be a redneck if you've ever given rat traps as Christmas gifts. You might be a redneck if you've ever received rat traps as Christmas <laughs> gifts. <laughs> you might be a redneck if you purchase your teeth from a catalog. That just sounds nasty, doesn't it? You might be a redneck if you've ever financed a tattoo. You might be a redneck if you've ever played this game. Look on the screen. Has anyone ever played that game? I confess to you that I have. And if that makes me a redneck, then so be it. It's a South African game, and those words mean clay stick, clay lut. So I brought along a bamboo stick. And that second word, who wants to venture a pronunciation? You have to kind of start yarring your throat. Khoi. The game is called clay lat khoi. You can look it up online. There's a couple of YouTube videos of kids playing clay lat khoi. And it's a game where, where we went out into the fields around where, where we lived and we would find deposits of clay. And if there was a group of us, we would divide into teams and separate by about 20, 30 yards. Uh, and our kids do not try this at home without parental <laughs> supervision. And I was in middle school and we would uh, get our bundles of clay and we would get sticks off of trees and we would build fortifications and we would put clay on the end of the stick. I've got a lump of clay here, but I've got some in the little bag here. And we'd put clay on the end of the stick, and then we would flick it at each other. It's the South African redneck version of paintball. Because <laughs> when that piece of clay hits you, about the size of a golf ball, it stuns. So who wants to be a target? <laughs> Nate? <laughs> well, this is actually a marshmallow. And we did not play with marshmallows. And I'm not going to flick this at anyone. I did this morning and it hit Tim Valdi in the chest. I'm not kidding you. So I'm not going to flick this at you. But that's what we did. And we'd play lat hoi. It was a fun game. We'd go home bruised, proud of it. 
This morning, we're going to talk about the potter and the clay. And some of it is going to sting. Because pottery is a contact sport, right? And being a Christian is a contact experience. If we're going to allow God to shape us, some of it is going to sting. It's going to hurt. You with me? All right, Jeremiah chapter 18. I'm just standing in a marshmallow. <laughs> Sorry. Where did that come from? Okay. I'm sorry. All right, Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. The analogy in this passage is clear. God is the potter. He's the one molding the clay. We are the clay. I know your parents probably told you to think more highly of yourself, but you're a lump of clay. Beautiful lump of clay. And there's this relationship that Jeremiah sees between the potter and the clay. And potters will tell you, and I am not a potter, but as I've researched and planned this series, I've, I've you know, dug into it and I've spoken to people and, and, and I've looked at this. And, and potters will tell you that there's a relationship between the potter and the clay. As the potter's forming the clay and molding the clay, so in a sense, the potter speaks, I mean, the clay talks to the potter and the potter gets a sense of what the pot, the clay can get molded into whether the clay is responding and yielding to the potter. And this, this wheel, I went and borrowed a piece of clay from our art room, and it's on a little wheel. And this wheel, for this analogy, represents our lives and the totality of it. And, and so I'd like to take you through through a seven-step process where clay moves from just a lump to being a usable and beautiful pot. First of all, the potter selects the clay. Now, that's kind of obvious, right? The potter goes and selects clay. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before I was, God is. Before you were born into the family you were born into, God is. Before I came to this country, God is. Before that tragedy struck, before that circumstance happened that you strained under, God is. Before Jeremiah was raised up to be a prophet for about 40 years. God is saying, Jeremiah, I was there. C.S. Lewis has an interesting take on this. C.S. Lewis says that time is like a page 
that you and I are kind of walking down and God is on the page at the same time, all of our lives. Before I was, God is. So the potter chooses the clay. The potter throws the clay. The word throw is actually a pottery term. And it's a term used from, from the very beginning stages of forming the clay to the finished product. It's called throw. And so if a potter makes a pot, the potter throws a pot. If the potter makes a bowl, the potter throws a bowl. Sometimes it feels like as if God is just throwing things at us and circumstances and happenings. And sometimes he thrusts us into situations that we didn't ask for. We certainly wouldn't have planned it. The potter throws the clay. The third step is the potter centers the clay. And this is very, very important. And you're on my little wheel. I can spin this around and I'm not going to put too much pressure on this. But as the clay lands on the pot and as the wheel, I mean, as the clay lands on the wheel and as the potter puts pressure on the clay, if the clay heals, the clay automatically moves to center. There is no way that a potter can turn this lump of clay into something beautiful and usable if it's not centered. And if we are going to yield to the Lord, if we will yield to the Lord, if we will allow God to apply pressure to our lives, the natural progression for us is that we will move to the center of God's will and where God wants us. But we have to stay centered. We have to allow the potter to move us. The potter centers the clay. The fourth step is that the potter makes the clay malleable or moldable. Clay isn't naturally moldable. It's, it's hard. It's heavy. It's sticky. But as the clay is on the wheel and as it turns and as the potter applies pressure and as the potter sprinkles water on it, so the clay becomes malleable, soft. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And the potter putting water on the clay is like God's word speaking into our lives, softening us, making us moldable, allowing us to, fear, to, to hear God's word, to convict us, so that he can shape us. I'm reminded of the time when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. He said to everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water well enough to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me that water. And in a sense, she was saying, Lord, mold me. Shape me. Give me that water. Feed me, excuse me, your word. The first step is that the potter determines what the clay will become. God wraps his hands around us. God applies pressure. God sprinkles us with his word. God is in control and he determines the speed of the wheel. He determines the shape we'll take. But it's still just a lump. But it really hasn't become anything attractive. It hasn't become a real pot or a cup or a bowl yet. There's two more steps that we're going to look at. And, and these 
become very, very uncomfortable. And before we look at them, I want to show you a video. It runs about 90 seconds, and it's going to show you some of this process. Watch, watch the video. We're a lot like this lump of clay, shapeless, formless, hard to use for anything until the potter touches it. The potter kneads and rolls and softens the clay, turning it from something hard and tough into something flexible. The potter prepares the clay to be made into something new. And slowly and surely, the clay begins to change. It submits to the potter's hands. It requires some pressure and time and patience and a plan. And the potter has all of those. The clay doesn't talk back or offer criticism. The clay simply yields to the hands of the maker. And by doing that, it becomes something beautiful. The clay is formed with... Okay. There is a critical step in this process that you did not see in that video. From time to time, as the potter is molding the clay, he finds something inside the clay that shouldn't be there. Something that's going to prevent the clay from taking shape. In fact, if that part, that particle, that foreign object stays inside the clay, it'll never become what God truly wants it to be. Jeremiah, in verse 4, chapter 18, he says, And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter. Is there anyone here who has never had anything spoiled in your life by sin? Any opportunity, any relationship, any venture in life that was not impacted and marred and spoiled by sin? We all have. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so for us, if, if we are going to yield to God's molding, if we are going to be on this wheel and allow him to shape us, we have to allow him to get inside and take out that spoiled area. And so I brought some tools with me. And I have, I have named some of these tools. <laughs> and this is, this is the part in the process where, where it gets really personal and it gets rough. I'm calling this tool the atheist cynicism. And have you got someone in your life that just kind of pokes at your faith all the time? Family member or coworker, and they just dig in. Have you ever stopped to think that this might be part of God's molding process in your life, that he's allowing that to happen to strengthen your faith? The atheist cynicism. 
as a scraping tool. I'm calling this the friend's betrayal. Have you ever had somebody betray you? Betray your confidence? And as if they just scrape you in a big part of your life off and then it hurts. Maybe a relationship that you thought would last forever and it didn't. A friend's betrayal. I broke this last night. <laughs> it's a little spade. I called this mother-in-law's revenge. Because you took her little darling, didn't you? And there's nothing that you can do to please her. And there is this cutting that's going on in your relationship at home because of an in-law, a family member, and it's just digging deep. Have you ever thought that that might be a way that God is molding you to shine your light? This is a measuring tool. I'm calling this the bad church experience. Because when a potter is making multiple pots and they want them to all be the same, he, he will go and measure them. And you'll make sure that they're all shaped the same way. And maybe you've had a bad experience at a church. Hypocrisy or judgmentalism. And, and you, you feel like you just haven't shaped up. And everyone's eyes are on you and you haven't been welcomed. Or maybe there's an issue that, uh, that's of theology and, and you just can't wrap your, wrap your mind around it and it's just not making sense to you. Is God using that in the process? Here is a little shaping tool. As the pot is turning on the clay, so the potter uses it to shape it scraping away some of the surface. And yes, this, this one might be the most brutal one. It's just a little piece of wire attached to two pieces of wood. And this is the cutting tool. Because just with a bit of pressure, it just, just cuts right through the clay. Has God taken something from your life? A dream? an ambition, a loved one, and just like something's just sliced off your life. This is, this is rough, isn't it? <laughs> Being molded by God is invasive. It gets down deep, and sometimes it's hard. The potter has to work from the inside out, step number seven. Both hands, and that's a beautiful image that you saw in that video, where, where just the right time, when the clay was pliable enough, the potter stuck her fingers into the middle of that clay and allowed the pot to take shape. And sometimes it's, it's, it's so painful. And God digs down deep into our lives so that he can shape us. There is an interesting spiritual irony in this analogy. Because as I've been working with the clay, my, my hands have gotten dirty. 
And it reminds me of our pure, holy God who stepped into your world, stepped into your life, and got his hands dirty. Not because of sin that he had committed, because Christ was sinless, but because of our sin that he took on himself. And why is that? The psalmist asks in Psalm 24, verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer to that question is we want to, right? And then the psalmist gives a qualifying statement, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And who of us here naturally have clean hands and a pure heart? None of us. But God, through his work, can make our hands clean and our hearts pure. If we will let him mold us and shape us. So I want to take the rest of our time here together and look through some practical applications of this story that we see in Jeremiah chapter 18. First of all, the work is all his. It's all the potter's. The potter selects the clay, the potter throws the clay, the potter centers the clay, the potter makes the clay malleable, the potter, the potter determines what the clay will become, the potter frees the clay of foreign objects, the potter works from the inside out. It's all his work. And you might ask, well, <laughs> what do I do? Are you willing to yield? Are you willing to be shaped by the potter? Are you willing to stay on his molding wheel? After they conquered the land of Canaan, Joshua gathered the people together and he put this question to them in Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man has a free will. You can choose to heal to God. Or you can choose to resist him. Either way, you are going to get molded. And so the big question is, what are you allowing to mold you? Is it the opinion of friends? Is it political movements? Is it the rise or fall of the stock market? Or is it the hands of God that's molding you? God and his words. God is sovereign, God is independent, God is in charge, and we know that there are times when God's sovereignty and our wills clash, when we resist God's work in our lives. That doesn't count against God. It talks about us. I am the sovereign owner of this beautiful clay lot stick. And if I offered you the stick, even if I kind of persuaded you and tried to push it on you and you resisted me, it doesn't take away from the fact that I'm the sovereign owner of the stick. It says something about your heart because who would not want to own the stick? Who would not want to have God mold them and shape them and direct their life? All of us, right? But we can resist, we can push back, we can choose to sin, 
We can choose to walk down a path that God has told us do not go down this path. We can choose to get into a relationship that God is saying stay away. We can choose to ignore God's call on our lives. Towards the end of his ministry, Jesus had a very stirring conversation with the religious leaders They were in the temple. And as you read through the narrative of that story, it gets very heated, and Jesus is actually denouncing them, calling them hypocrites, brood of vipers. And then at the end of the conversation, it seems like the mood changes, and I can almost picture Jesus taking a breath. And he says these very stirring words, Matthew 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Jeremiah, if we had to judge Jeremiah's 40-year ministry based on human standards, he was a failure. People mocked him, criticized him, persecuted him. There were no great revivals. The nation didn't turn from paganism to God under Jeremiah's ministry. In fact, they continued, went into exile. Babylon conquered them. I wonder if Jesus had Jeremiah in mind and all of the prophets that God sent and Jeremiah is telling the religious leaders, I have sent you people over and over and over again to warn you, but you are not willing. And then Jesus says these sobering words in verse 28. Look, your house is left to you desolate. What a sad pronunciation, a pronouncement on the state of Israel at that time. How many times has God warned you about something and you've rejected it? How many times must God get in your face through someone else, through the teaching of his word, through a memory of something somebody said, and God is telling you over and over and over again, stay away, get out, stop. Are we willing? The third practical application is that you won't always like it. You won't. It reminds me of something Pastor Nate said in his sermon last week. I'm not going to take my shirt off. I do not want to upstage the young pastor. It will just destroy his self-image, I know it. But Pastor Nate told us last week, God's pruning might be one of the most difficult things you ever go through. Are you willing? You don't have to like it. In fact, I'll tell you that you won't always like it. And you might have an opinion of what God is doing in your life. And you might want to go to him and say, Lord, stop, <laughs> enough. But are you willing to stay as he molds you and shapes you? Paul rejoiced from prison. Paul, Paul said, I will be content with my lot. But Paul was unhappy about something in his life and he prayed three times for God to remove it and God didn't. Paul refers to that as the thorn in his flesh. 
Are you willing to stay under the potter's hand and allow him to shape you and mold you, even though you might not like it at that moment? Number four, you can talk to the potter. I know in the video they said the potter, the, the clay doesn't talk back and actual clay doesn't, but yet we can talk to God and you can take him your frustrations and, and your questions. And I even think that you, can, you know, that you can get angry in God's presence and the tone you use and the words you use, that's between you and you and God. But you know what? God can handle it and God wants you to talk to him. That doesn't mean that God will necessarily change your circumstance. Doesn't necessarily mean that he's gonna stop your molding, but you can take this to the Lord. Job went through some horrific experiences. He didn't plan them, he didn't ask for them. He certainly didn't see them coming. Lost his health and his wealth and his children, his livestock. And as you read through the book of Job, there's this dialogue going on between God and Job all the time. And Job is questioning God. And at one stage towards the end of the book, God says, who is this that darkens my presence with counsel? In chapter 10, Job says these words in verse eight, your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Was that true? No, but it sure felt like it to Job. He felt like it was all over. And then he says in verse nine, remember that you have made me like clay, as if God needed reminding. It's as if God, it's as if Job is saying, Lord, stop, please. I'm just clay, I'm fragile. You can talk to God. And I urge you, talk to him. Number five, you are the work of his hands. You're the work of his hands. The prophet Isaiah uses the pottery and the clay analogy three times. And there's an interesting story, there's an interesting way that this unfolds in the prophecies of Isaiah. He, he lived about 100 years before Babylon conquered Judah. So he's prophesying about how things are going to unfold and he's warning the people that this is coming. In chapter 29, verse 16, this is around the time that Babylon was besieging Jerusalem in 597. Shall the potter be regarded as a clay that the thing made shall say to its maker, he did not make me? Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? I can just picture the people in Jerusalem, wave after wave after wave of prophets have come and warned them. And then pagan nation of Babylon is surrounding the city and they're still selling, saying the potter has no understanding. How stubborn. And then we move on in the series of prophecies and we get to Jeremiah 45 verse nine. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles.
And then in Jeremiah, I mean, in, in Isaiah 64, verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do you realize what Judah went through before they came to that point? The prophets they rejected, the prophets they ignored, the conquering of Babylon, the 70 years in exile, and eventually they came around and said, Lord, we are the work of your hands. We are your vessels. We are your workmanship. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. You might not feel like it. You might feel like there's too much mess in your life. You might feel like there's too much areas of your life that has been spoiled by sin or spoiled by the sin of others. But you are his workmanship. You are the clay in his hands. You can be shaped by him. It will get rough. It will hurt at times. Are you willing to stay in his hands? The question is not what are you feeling? Because our faith isn't a feeling, our faith is a fact. The question is where are you spiritually? Are you on the potter's wheel? Are you being shaped and molded by him? Are you allowing him, are you yielding to that shaping? But Six or seven years ago, my wife and I were in Rome and there was a statue in St. Peter's Basilica that I wanted to go and see. It's called the Paeta. It's a Michelangelo statue. It's about 500 years old. It stands about five feet high and about five or six feet across. And it's a statue of Mary cradling the dead body of Jesus after the crucifixion. It's a very stirring statue. And I remember walking into St. Peter's, St. Peter's Basilica and we turned right and there it was. But the closest that we could get to it was about 15 feet and there was this big, thick, bulletproof glass in front of it. So we asked the people there. They said back in 1972, one of the visitors, that's before we get searched in almost every building we're going to, a visitor went in there with a hammer and started hacking away at the paeta and spoiled it. And they could have just tossed it aside, right? They could have discarded it. It's been spoilt. This great work of art, it's been marred, but they didn't. They hired artists and sculptors and they restored it. And we as tourists looked at it and we could not tell. And it's a beautiful picture of God holding our lives in his hands. And some of you might think, my life is dead. It's useless, it's hopeless. There's too much mess. Oh no. God wants to restore. God wants to give back. As the prophet Joel said, give back the years the locusts have eaten. 
God wants to dig down deep and mold you from the inside out and shape you into something that's beautiful, into something that's usable for His glory. You are a beautiful piece of clay. You might not think it, but you are. And if you will allow God to mold you and to fill you, you will see the beauty of your walk with God come to fruition. I invite you to talk to God this morning. Take this opportunity. Make this a shed, uh, shed work, a, a watershed moment in your life. Memorial Day weekend 2018, when you confronted that issue that God has been trying to mold and deal with and cut out of your life, then you surrender it to Him. If you need somebody to pray with, there'll be prayer partners on this side to pray with you. If you want to pray alone, you can pray on this side or just right where you are. Yield your life to Him and allow Him to clean you from the inside out. Let's stand and worship together and respond as the Lord leads you.
Take a moment and cry out to the Lord. Invite Him to control you from the inside out. Tell Him afresh this morning, Lord. I commit to stay on your potter's wheel. Whatever it takes, whatever you're doing in my life, whatever you're doing around me, Lord, I'm willing to be molded and shaped by you. Father, I pray for the families, the individuals bowed in your presence here this, this afternoon. And you know each one, Lord, and you know the circumstances that they're going through. You know their, their lives and their challenges. 
I pray that you would let them know that you are making of them what seems good and best to you. That they will look back one day and see the wonderful work that you've done in their lives as you shape them and mold them. Lord, if there's any families here this morning who are missing a loved one who served in the armed forces, I pray that you would encourage them. And again, we thank you for them. Bless each family, Lord, I pray, as we go into the rest of this Memorial Day weekend and have your way with us. Mold us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.